0: Welcome back to your favorite new podcast called Wild Quincy. Chris Ketters with Travis Hoffman. And Travis, I feel like playing mini-golf.
1: Boy, I got a hankering for a colorful ball and a, a <laughs> putter. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word putter. Obviously, I've done a lot of mini-golf putting recently, Chris.
0: I thought that was going in a completely different direction, well, so I appreciate know, you just saying putter. There's an ointment, uh, so. Yeah, so hey, but a reason why I bring that up is because uh, if you are not a Patreon member, you gotta check this out because we talked about it. I think we talked about it in the Levy Walker episode that we're gonna be doing some uh, putt putt golfing, and we're doing with our Patreon members coming up. And so now's your last chance. If you want to be part of that? You will have to join our Patreon. And Travis, we got a new Patreon too, as well, don't we? We sure do, Chris. We have hearty
1: wild thing welcome to Bobby Harrison who joined us at the uh, medium Jeff special level. And we appreciate you coming aboard, Bobby. If you're not a part of our Wild Things, you missed out on quite an interesting episode where we covered more fire topics, as well as talk of EMP attacks and other doomsday (laughs) scenarios. It it got on a little bit of a tangent, but it was
0: very interesting, Chris. I quickly, quickly went way off into left (laughs) field and sat down and played with the grass by myself because, uh, yeah, we went off on a wild tangent real quick on that, and I was actually just listening to that episode and was like, man, I, I should apologize again for that because I really went off but it was interesting i i still think we need to have we will probably have a doomsday scenario in the tri-states Ooh, episode at some that'd point be fun. i think that'd be kind of fun wouldn't it like to game plan different ideas of what happened if uh yellowstone erupted or what happened Ooh. if the new Madrid fault uh, fault line went off a little scary you know, scenarios yeah i think that's a that's an upcoming episode we need to deal with, i like so. it Let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Uh, So be looking for that. Uh, But hey, we're coming up on the end of the season. Uh, We only have a few episodes left. Then we're going to do a season recap because all you guys have been sending us a bunch of cool information after uh, we get done with these episodes. And instead of using the time uh, here, we decided, hey, let's just do our own uh, final wrap of the season and get all that extra information out. So be looking for that coming up. Good news, too, guys. We were planning on taking a break, uh, but it's not looking like we will because we're trying to plan out some uh, episodes Coming up for the Halloween season in October. And um, to make that work, it doesn't look like we're going to be taking much time at all off. So uh, that's uh, good news, I guess, for uh, not only the Patreon guys that get to hear an episode every other week, but also for everybody else that listens uh, to the regular episodes.
1: That's right, Chris. couple quick shout-outs as well. Robert Turek of Quincy From Above, that's QCYFromAbove.com, gave us some great story leads for some future episodes. Appreciate that, Robert. Check out his stuff. He's the Ariel... Uh, Adventurer who has great drone footage and stories connected to kind of Quincy from above, as the name says. Also, a tip of the hat to the fellow Quincy podcast, the Quincy Cannon, who gave us a mention and some kind words on their last episode. I was in touch with them recently just chatting. Uh, They're a general topic, Quincy Topics series and talk a little politics, a little local happenings. Another uh, another Quincy podcast to support and show a little love to. So that's QuincyCannon.com. Chris, anything else housekeeping wise? Travis, I think we're
0: ready to jump into the question of the day. Are you ready for this one? Never been more ready in my life, Chris. <laughs> so you've been real successful the last few weeks. Very. I think you're, you are you were, you were hoping for the turkey this I'm week. I'm very good. I'm hoping that you get it too. Uh, but I, I told you before we started this episode, this one's a toughie. Yeah, you always say it's a toughie.
1: softball when it's hard. So maybe it's a soft <laughs> hardball when it's soft. I don't know. Go on.
0: <laughs> so here's the question of the day the first qhs blue devil basketball game happened when oh gosh okay hmm four options to choose from you got october of 1897 november of 1903 december of 1907 or november of 1915 wow okay that's quite a spread there chris huh i know so that's your question first qhs blue devil basketball game it was it in 80 or 19 excuse me 1897 1903 1907 or 1915 well the answer for that coming up at the end of this episode but uh, we have to jump in to an interesting case an interesting case that's not so much in quincy but uh pretty close by we'll tell you about the details of that coming up next here on wild quincy
1: This is Becky, and I'm just calling Wild Quincy. Okay, look, this is Travis, okay? It's me again. Look, I hate the fact that I have to call my own line for a returner. Very simple. All you have to do is call 612-666-9453. Just say, hey, this is me, and you're listening to Wild Quincy. Now back to Travis and Chris, or Chris and Travis. I don't care, but it's so simple. Call us. We need you. Please. And now back to Wild Quincy with Chris and me.
0: Back here on a Wild Quincy and uh, Travis, I I didn't want to give too much detail away before we went to our break, but uh, you know, partially to do because I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce this guy's name. Uh, we were just having a discussion about this. John Lou Miller, Joe Low Miller, John I
1: believe it's John Low Miller, Chris, and I only say that out of an abundance of research where I stumbled across a potentially alternate spelling that kind of Pointed to Low Miller, I may very well say Lou Miller several times, so bear with me. It's one of the two, I
0: believe. So Travis, dig into this. This sounds like uh, this has got more twists and turns than the Screaming Eagle in St. Louis. So let's let's dig into the case of John Lou Miller. You
1: are not wrong, Chris. Okay, so let's let's get into it because there's a lot to cover here, and I'll uh, I'll try I'll try to run without tripping. Uh, John Lou Miller, born in Cincinnati, Ohio, when he, and when he was a young man. Not even a young man. When he was a young boy, his parents moved to the Liberty area. Uh, when John was 15, he had a pretty bad accident where he accidentally uh, was f- shooting a gun and it misfired. And it was full of goose shot, so little pellets. Mm-hmm. And being you know 15, wasn't super wise. He looked down the barrel and it wasn't a misfire, but it was a delayed fire. And right when he looked down the gun, the, sh- the goose shot just went flying into his face. He became completely blind over the subsequent years. It wasn't a situation where he just had like a loss of some sight. He literally had both eyeballs removed in the next couple of years and had prosthetic eyes. Uh, Even though he had that accident, he was actually put in a blind institution, kind of a school for the blind in the Jacksonville area. And he was actually very well educated and also became like a super talented musician on the violin. And I believe uh, maybe the hand organ as well. Well, he decided to head west, head west young man, to the Washington Territory area, and he ended up making pretty good money, surprisingly enough, just playing as a musician in the area. He was a pretty savvy investor, and he saved a lot of money, did a lot of real estate investment, a lot of high turnaround lending with high profits in and, and yield and returns. So he did really well for himself out in that area. Ended up in Kansas, where he ran across a young woman named Katie Bruff who was a cook at a hotel where Lou Miller was frequenting at the time. The two fell in love and they were soon married, Chris. Typical story, guy guy goes west, fine love. This feels like a good story, right? Very heartwarming. Sure. You know? no, no, no reason to raise an eyebrow yet. Just wait. Uh, <laughs> soon after marrying, Lou Miller's moved back to Quincy in about 1891. He got here first, and there was an article in the paper saying, "Hey, this blind man's back in town. And he's in a, just kind of a r- real well-to-do, feel like kind of a socialite, wealthy man." Kind of surprised everybody, Chris, when they ended up moving out uh, outside the outskirts of Liberty, about a couple miles uh, southeast of Liberty. Okay. They moved there. They set up shop. Lou Miller's nine-year-old niece, or Linda. Cayman was staying with him, actually, for six months. I think the story is Katie, his wife, was a little out of touch with the social life there outside of Liberty. And the nine-year-old niece, actually, yeah, nine-year-old niece, or Linda, was a good source to kind of keep her company and just help around the house. So she was staying there about six months, and everything seemed to be going swimmingly. Though John was blind, he was incredibly self-sufficient, had a steady source of income coming in from his investments in his property. He owned a hotel in the Kansas City, uh, some uh, maybe Oklahoma area, and you know, just kind of went about his days, enjoyed fox hunting. So he, you know, take that as you will, as a blind man. <laughs> There's some reports that say he wasn't actually doing the shooting, but just enjoyed the fox sounds, maybe? It, it was a very bizarre story. It sounds like this guy was pretty handy without his sight, moving about whenever at ease, it seemed like. So, this is all swimming, this is all going lovely, until everything came to a grinding halt on October 9th, 1894. On the evening of October 9th, 1894, John was headed out with his friends on a fox hunt. He returned home at about midnight, finding the front door to his home locked. Well, this wasn't uncommon because, you know, the girls are, lock up, go to bed, When he gets home, he usually hollers, knocks on the door. One of them wakes up, lets him in the house. You know, that's the night. Well, on this occasion, his wife and niece didn't come to the door. He thought eh, he didn't think much of it, Chris, because this was a pretty standard occasion where sometimes they would go over to a neighbor's for a social visit. And being two women alone in the, you know, at a little house, sometimes they just end up staying the night. So this wasn't uncommon for them to go spend the night somewhere. And on occasions such as this, he would go over to a local neighbor's house. uh, Name was Bob Clark. And on this night, he headed to Bob's house, knocked on the door. Hey, is my wife and niece there? He asked. They were not. But Bob said, well, why don't you just stay here, spend the night. We'll figure this out in the morning. Call it a night. Hmm. Morning comes. He heads back to his house with uh, Bob and another farmer who was over tending to some livestock real close to Lou Miller's house. Farmer Bob. And the door is, what's that? Farmer Bob. Farmer Bob. (laughs) He has a name, but it's not really important right now. (laughs) Uh, So they discovered that the front door was still locked. And they thought that was a little suspicious. No one really knew where Kate was or Orlinda. He asked a couple people on the way back to the house if they had seen them. They had not. They make their way to one of the rear doors, and after a little forcing, they were able to open it up. They go in the home, and this place has been ransacked. Papers are on the floor. The house has been rifled through. Still no sign of the wife or the niece. They move through the house. They go through Orlinda's room first, the nine-year-old niece. Nothing there. Then they come to the doorway to the bedroom. They try to get in the door, but they can't open the door. Something is blocking the door on the other side. John kind of forces it open a little bit. And I don't know if it's a blind blind man's intuition or exactly what it was. They say sometimes the blind have heightened senses otherwise. But he exclaimed that he smelled a lot of blood. Hmm. And so he stood by as the two neighbors were able to force the door open where they came upon the grisliest of scenes. Chris, 32-year-old Katie Lou Miller, John's wife, and her nine-year-old niece, Orlinda Searles, Searles, were on the floor in a massive pool of blood. The mattress from the bed had covered the bodies, and upon the removal, it showed what a horrific murder had taken place. Uh, The two had been bludgeoned to death by some accounts an axe, some accounts maybe a steel bar, there were just massive injuries. The majority of those injuries happened to J- Blue Miller's wife. I won't get into the, the gory gory details, Chris, but I mean, brains were scattered on the floor. It, it was it was it was rough. It was really rough.
0: Let me let me dive in with a yeah. couple questions here. So first of all, um, before we get into the murder part, what did he do for work? When he was in liberty, he didn't have to do anything, Chris.
1: Okay, he had a steady income off his real estate and his investments. He was uh, worth probably about fifty thousand dollars. I would gauge somewhere between that and a hundred thousand. It's
0: big so, money. So I mean, back he then. was
1: doing okay. Probably not a hundred thousand, but definitely enough where he could live comfortably just off in his investing.
0: In even today's world, if you again I, I just last week or two weeks ago we did the fire one and fifty thousand dollars in the eighteen hundreds exactly. is is like six million dollars in today's world. Yeah, that opinion.
1: might be a little high, frankly, yeah. at that point in time for John. Mm-hmm. But he probably he there's a lot of talk of him and violin. So I think he probably for fun probably played violin and got a little side income as well for like parties and things happening out there. Okay. So, yeah, that that's his his line of work is very much nothing. What other questions do you have?
0: Yeah. yeah. so I put my, my paper up in front here because I have other questions. So when they walked into this room, the body was blocking the door that went into the room well the bodies had been were on the floor the mattress okay.
1: of the bed was co- was taken off the frame and covering the bodies for some reason
0: now was there a exit so obviously this ha- this was done in that room and there was an use alternate
1: the- exit out that room to either a part of the house or to the outside
0: yeah and that was the way whoever did this that was the way they that's what they believe correct okay okay because i yeah because i was just making sure like you know from a visual standpoint like was it a murder suicide or or something along those lines you know at this point
1: no nothing has been investigated (laughs) okay something horrible happened in this room chris that's where we're at right here okay all right so yeah so gory horrible scene the investigation is quickly underway many different officers of the law both from liberty including a sheriff roth a constable presley dark and a detective featheringale from quincy actually showed up on the scene and conducted a very thorough investigation things found on the premises was a pair of bloody men's trousers the blood was around the the area which a man would hold to fasten and t- like to remove so kind of the waist area chris okay. um also found was a revolver at the foot of the bed underneath the frame. Now this revolver was Lou Miller's and co- it was common they often kept it but they kept it under the head of the bed as kind of a piece of protection, I guess you could say back in the day. So having a revolver there wasn't all that significant. They admitted that that was always there. However, one of the, round, the bullets was missing and four appeared to be scratched of the bullets, which would almost indicate that if it was a misfire, potentially. Mm. So potentially four misfires may have occurred. Whether it occurred at that night or at another time, that's to the fates of history. They didn't come up with an answer on that.
0: So I just want to make sure I got this right. Um, so the revolver was a revolver, correct? Yes. So was that revolver, again, just... Re- recounting here is that John's revolver or yes. was it somebody else okay and it is john's okay so it is john's okay all right yep yeah, that good good keep going
1: <laughs> the, yeah the only thing weird is that its normal place was under the mattress and of, like on the frame near the head of the bed it was located mm. under the foot of the bed oh so I... something had whether when the mattress was moved potentially that was moved or maybe maybe someone grabbed the gun in an attempt to use it wasn't sure no, As no like maybe
0: potentially fine. they knew that somebody was come, well, obviously they, somebody was coming in here and and doing harm to them so she knew the gun was there so she tries grabbing it possibly That's and, and one of the late.
1: theories was yeah. yeah
0: or possibly it sounds like cuz you did have bloody trousers that were there men's trousers right. so maybe right. it's possible she did get a shot off on whoever it is right is that possible
1: potentially it sounds like it they might have been in the pool of blood because it was oh. a massive pool of blood, the body gotcha. was laying in, Chris. Okay. So whether whether there was by handprints on there or just as being on the pool of blood, and that's not mm. really specific. Okay. All right. Uh, footprints. An empty. I'm sorry. An empty wallet was found on the floor, which apparently had been stolen from. Of of a, it wasn't clear if it was Kate's or John's. I believe it was Kate's, just from how they talked. Footprints were found in a cornfield, coming and leaving Lou Miller's house, and I believe this was near the back exit. That if the if murderers committed the crime, blocked the front, blocked the door entering the bedroom, and exited the other door. I believe that's where that would have taken place. At those footprints, okay. uh, an abandoned horse buggy was discovered near Clayton. Now Clayton, as a crow flies, is kind of north of that area, a couple of miles. I would say maybe two or three miles. Um, What had happened is apparently this this buggy had been driven so hard that something broke on it and the horses were just unhitched and and rode off. Um, That trail didn't really produce any additional leads. Might have been just a coincidence. Nothing was ever definitely said on that. So what really became a damning piece of evidence that pointed the suspicion to the blind man himself, Chris, John Lumiller. Mm Mm-hmm. Lou Miller had recently put in place a very large insurance policy on the life of Mrs. Lou Miller. Hmm. Now, payouts totaled near $26,000 at that time between his wife and his niece put together. And this insurance was extremely rare for the day because most policies were kind of set up with a mindset that, I mean, Lou Miller was a couple years older than his wife. It wasn't a huge age difference. But in that time period, a lot of times the husband would die first. And Mm. a large insurance policy would be set to, you know, roll into the wife's possession to help her sustain the farm or whatever the land or just kind of give her a means of income in that case. So a lot of people raised an eyebrow at this. There's a little back and forth between Lou Miller on why that was set up that way. But nothing was complete. It was very damning (laughs) is what it came down to at the time. Another thing that was a little strange and also raised eyebrows is that Lou Miller paid off the premium in full early. So to pay off the the large premium on that early. He had a lot of money though. Yeah, yeah,
0: he that yeah. was that was nothing for him to do. It, I mean, yeah, it he had a eyebrow,
1: do that. but if you had the money, why not just get it done yeah, and get it paid just off? Just get it done with. Exactly. Maybe that's not the most damning of evidence, but it was a pretty heavy topic of conversation.
0: Today's world, I had to do a quick check, so yeah. that $26,000 uh, insurance policy in today's world is around $807,000.
1: Okay. That's so that's a, a large
0: amount. That's a large amount.
1: So that's a large amount. Okay. Now We'll do a little backtracking during the investigation. The night before the murder, there was a social gathering at Lou Miller's house. Two of these attendees were William Lanham, a young farmer near the area, as well as Constable Presley Dark, who was an engineer as well as being the constable of Liberty. Lou Miller seemed to have a lot of high-profile friends in Liberty. Now, the constable was allegedly quite drunk at the end of the evening by multiple accounts. The farmer, William, accuses constable of saying that he thought Mrs. Lou Miller was pretty attractive and claimed that he could imagine a situation where he might be able to sleep with her (laughs) and said he intended to go back the next night and attempt just that. Oh, no. Well, (laughs) well, this was in court and uh, and constable dark was quick to say oh no 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 that was not the case i did not say that i only stated that i enjoyed playing cards with her and i would love to play cards again so take that for what you will and in turn he turns it around on the guy the farmer and says well you did hit her with your violin bow in the stomach which he denies so you got these two knuckleheads that were probably both drunk and loose-lipped for some reason, acting very suspicious, change, accusing each other of different things. Now that's the only it, instance where any any allegations of unfaithfulness or the kind of attacks on Mrs. Lou Miller's character, as far as being faithful to Mr. Lou Miller. Mm-hmm. But to as it was a variable in courts. A couple days after the initial burial, the bodies were exhumed. And at being approved by Lou Miller, they did an autopsy to rule out any, like, basically sexual molestation, Chris. Oh, okay. And, and there were no signs uh, at the time. Okay. So it kind of ruled that out. Now all this is going on. Quincy is a buzz. Liberty is a buzz. <laughs> and you have this mysterious character show up, Chris. This mysterious character named with the name Fox. His last name's Fox, and he claims to be a detective who showed up in town and he's just bumbling around. Most people thought he's just some local curious moron. Some people thought he might be a detective agent from one of the insurance poli- you know holders trying to check out the situation. Well, this guy is, Chris, is insane. This guy is always getting drunk in public in, a, in this whole investigation time frame. He's always getting thrown in jail multiple times. He, at one point, even convinces the constable at Liberty that he has the authority to arrest Lou Miller at one point, which thankfully doesn't happen. Otherwise, the guy would have lost his job. And he just he offers no real value to the case, but he's always there. And he becomes this constant butt of a joke that just goes on through this whole investigation. So, you know. Classic, you know, if you were thinking thinking along the lines of serial killers, you're like, well, this might this is kind of weird to have a, se- a busybody around here, but they were never suspicious of him as a murderer. They just literally think he was a local guy, and I think in the end, he was some just local farmer boy from Missouri who wondered who was intrigued by the case and felt like he could make a dent in mm, it. Yeah, weird smoke and mirrors through this case with characters like uh, Detective Fox. Now back to the actual proper investigation. Lou Miller was in constant contact with the local newspapers. He was granting everybody an interview. No questions were off limits. He seemed to have an answer for everything, especially for those items that, you know, had any suspicion on himself any of those those questions that came about that made him look a little bit suspicious he never hummed and hawed he never just kind of out of grief said i just don't know i just don't know he always had an answer he was never Hmm. thrown off by anything a lot of people even said he seemed very rehearsed
0: that's that's exactly what i was saying usually you would think it would be that way to where at some point in time the person would be like i whatever i don't know and Yeah, if he gets to that point, you kind of go, hmm, okay.
1: He actually shut up when it came time for the court hearing. His attorneys convinced him to stop talking (laughs) to the damn papers, because he was
0: always
1: (laughs) writing to them, sending letters of people close to his family who presumed him innocent. He was going out of his way to try and prove his innocence directly to the newspapers and the public opinion. So... It's it's very interesting, Chris. There's he he was never at a loss for words in this whole situation. And what's this? Maybe the most disappointing and most devastating thing, Chris, is at this time there wasn't any fingerprint identification like processes or you know that science just hadn't come about yet. Mm-hmm. Only ten years later, it would. And I was in just the paper, gonna look that up. <laughs> in, yeah, in, in the paper there was an article where you know detectives and the police familiar with the blue Miller case were just kind of sick to their stomach because there were plenty of bloody fingerprints at the scene. Mm. They could have figured this out if this technology mm. would have been available. So during the investigation, another interesting character rises to the surface named Charles Dougherty. Now during the investigation, this guy comes forward claims to have had visions of the murder and he, he wants the whole world to know what he knows unfortunately these accusations came at a bad time for Dougherty as he was being investigated for being insane so so there was actually a court case where he was he his wife brought him in to the to the police basically saying i think my husband's crazy and they had a little investigation they talked to him he threw out all his thoughts he claimed that he had been eavesdropping on Lou Miller as w- well As the local doctor in Liberty, Dr. Enlow, Allegedly, Dr. Enlow, who was a friend of Lou Miller's, they had several conversations at the doctor's house in Liberty. Dowry, the crazy guy, allegedly, Mm
0: -hmm. claims
1: that this was no simple murder, but rather a big conspiracy led by Lou Miller, who put multiple local accomplices, some of great prominence in the Liberty area, to go together and team up and murder these two victims. There was a lot of suspicion that they, that Lou Miller knew the money that was coming and used that as a bit of a carrot to dangle in front of these guys. I'll get the payout. I'll pay you guys some money.
0: Interesting. I mean, if somebody that has the capabilities to have the – well, not only that, he's got the money to do it up front, but yeah, then he's getting the payout from the insurance company. I think you're going to get into it because we're still in the investigative st- stage, but you did kind of mention this already. What was your time frame between when the murders happened and when John went to trial? Have you Are you getting to that?
1: It was within a year, Chris. Okay. He, he actually had, yeah, I'll get to that on the trial front, there were actually three, potentially up to three trials. It's a little mm. muddy how things run together. But a year later, the trials had taken place. There were at least two in... Uh, the murder was in 1894. The trials, two at least, took place in 1895. Mm, okay. Real all quick. right. So, so, yeah go, so yeah,
0: go ahead. No, go. Let's. So we're so yeah. we're we're looking at these these uh, accomplices possibly. So
1: yeah, and keep in mind, all these attempted accomplices comes from Charles Dougherty, a person oh. who is under the scrutiny of being insane. The strange thing about Dougherty is that he had no, no indication that he was the least bit crazy before all this murders happened, Chris. Nobody hmm. suspected anything. Completely nothing. Sounds familiar. So as soon as he comes forward, everybody starts calling him crazy. And he seems pretty damn lucid in all these these things. At one point, he he the cards are stacked against Charles Stoward. <laughs> <laughs> he was on trial initially just to see if he's insane, whether he needs to be put away. Right? Well, the questioning starts branching over into suspecting him in as being the murderer. Because the night of the murder, Chris, he told his wife, hey, you should go see your uncle. I'm going to just hang around the house here around Clayton. Well, Dougherty doesn't hang around the house, Chris. Dougherty is spotted near Liberty that night. And in the morning, he meets back up with his wife at her, I believe it's her uncle's house near Clayton. And... The rumor is that he has hidden a hammer somewhere on his his her uncle's property when he went to visit his wife and his whereabouts that night are very shady. But he was absolutely identified in the Liberty area when the murder happened. Mm -hmm. So there's a good chance if you want to connect some dots here. He was part of this this uh, accomplice in a more uh, conspiracy heavy, multiple participants. There's a lot of potential dots that are being connected. That is questionable. Chris right here. Mm -hmm. But when he's being questioned, his wife starts to realize, Oh crap, they're thinking he's the one that murdered Mrs. Lou Miller and her niece. And Dougherty figures out where all this questioning is going. And he says, you can't trust that woman pointing to his wife. She was in an insane asylum.
0: Oh, (laughs) jeez.
1: She had just been released from an insane asylum about a year earlier. So who can trust anybody at this point? So Doward, never shuts up. He's deemed a little crazy, but not crazy enough to be a danger. And so at this point, he is not locked up. He is not sent off anywhere. He's just released. continues to pester all the detectives with these theories. Go on.
0: Chris, so is is he still still considered a suspect? Though
1: he's not. They never formally indicted him as as a sub. As a, 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 they just think he's crazy at this point.
0: So just to recap, because I feel there's a big story here. I'm afraid I'm yeah. worried that we might get in the weeds It might not get in the weeds, but it get to the point to where there's going to be it's going it to might get a little confusing. How many possible suspects are we looking at right now? As of right now,
1: <laughs> as of right now, Dougherty has named two or three at this point as being part of the conspirators, not including himself and Lou Miller,
0: potentially. And then the but it sounds like they're not being taking him serious.
1: No, the detective Featheringale, who's a Quincy detective, has been consistently pestered by this guy. He has written him off as a nut job multiple times and does not even pursue anything.
0: So from the so from the um, police standpoint, this multiple person conspiracy theory is not not legitimate for them.
1: They they don't follow up on it, Chris. Okay, they think that there's still more answers somewhere else. All right. Yeah. OK. So there's more suspects, though, right? <laughs> there, there's more. Like I said, this is such a tangent. If This is the epitome of one of those boards in the basement with all the random photos and the red string all over the place. This is <laughs> right. this story in a nutshell, Chris. The trial happens. There was multiple trials. There were up to 100 witnesses. In all the trials put together, he was indicted several times. Lou Miller was indicted. Many of the police suspected that he had done the killing. And a big part of why they believed that was when the murders happened, the bed frame of Mrs. Lou Miller had been hacked to pieces as well, as well as the side table. And their rationale was either a crazy person did this or a blind person did this, Chris. (laughs) Because if you're a blind person, let's, let's assume that it's Mr.
0: Lou Miller. I already got a problem with that, but keep going. Okay.
1: <laughs> if you're a blind man and you're killing someone, what, when do you know to stop?
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. You're going to probably take a few extra whacks, right? Oh, wow. You just opened up another can of worms. Yeah, keep going.
1: So why is the entire bed frame hacked to hell? Why is the side table hacked to hell? and why is she so brutally killed they the uh, the coroner suspected that the first or second blow did the job cuz it it went straight in her head
0: what do they always say about like especially like stabbings but but like also murders with a weapon with a gun as well is like you the first two or three are usually legit but then it has something to do with if you're doing more it's like a passion killing
1: exactly so the theory was she unfaithful Lou Miller played off like he never had an issue with her like he never questioned her her faithfulness at all if this is Lou Miller was this an act of passion as well in killing? Now,
0: now the flip side of this that I would, and it sounds like you had a struggle going on in that room, because especially when you go with the gun aspect from the gun moving positions, and most likely that would tell me that uh, she was trying to get to the gun to protect herself, and it, in a struggle like that, especially when I would think that the victim is awake and is trying to self be self defensive or defend yourself that you're going to have stuff like that happen where this dude's going to be swinging an ax and, and trying to, and she's going to be jumping out of the way. And the ax hits, hits the night table or hits the, hits the, the bed frame or something like that. I, I kind of see that, that if, if they're, if they're struggling, but on the, and that's the thing too, is if he, if it's man, I'm getting off, I'm going off. Here, I know but, um, dude,
1: believe it, me. I spent the it, last two weeks doing that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> if it's John, He's not just like turning 90 degrees and swinging the axe and turning 90 degrees and swinging the axe, just hoping that he hit something. The, the thing is, is that I think once you find him, you're just going to keep hitting him. I mean, you don't have to continually try to search for him because you're already hitting them. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: No, absolutely. That's why their thought was either somebody who's just nuts, insane, or somebody who was blind, or somebody that's trying
0: to make it look like he did it.
1: Yeah. The, the weird thing about that, Chris, is that her eyes were closed when they found the body. So they think that it happened quick. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the reason why they make the the conclusion that she might have still been asleep when the fatal blow happened is very kind of fishy to me, Chris. It's not really ironclad, in my opinion. They, mm-hmm. Her eyes could have been closed later. but there, But the niece, however had the same look of shock and horror on her face in death. She only received Mm. like one or two whacks to the head. Mrs. Lumilla received about nine.
0: Wow, well that, that puts some uh, very and I don't want to dig into this, I think this would be something we go on Patreon and yeah. talk about, but uh much you know, more on you, Patreon, yes. Yeah. Fan Schmidt case, the uh Velisca axe murder case. Was I mean, the this is,
1: case before yeah. Fan Schmidt. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. And before yeah.
0: Velisca actually as well, because all those cases were like uh nineteen tens timeframe. Yes. So but you know, in the, all those cases, just to give you a quick overview, the you had multiple people that were killed. Now Fan Schmidt's a little different because the house was set on fire, but Veliska axe murder house uh, where the family was killed they were all killed in their bed while they were sleeping and uh, I mean as horrible as it sounds the husband and wife were sleeping in the bed and one of them was killed and the other one still slept while the other one was being hit with an axe and then they went to the other person so to have that fear in that girl's uh, facial expression really tells me that she definitely was awake but you know um, yeah it's it's crazy
1: yeah it's you know the you know Lou Miller is is not convicted, you know he he gets off the hook, even though why he, three trials, I don't know, and that's why I I have a hard time understanding. To really understand, I think you'd have to do a deep dive in some court cases. The, the trial was actually taken. I'm sorry, everybody was a little shocked that the trial didn't happen in Quincy. It happened in Kingston, Illinois. Which in Kingston exactly? Kingston was much bigger back in this time frame. It's very much a blurb on the map right now. Yeah. But it was big enough at that time that it had a courthouse, and everything else. So people from Quincy and everywhere hauled out to Kingston, Illinois for this trial. Um, he's he's let off, and I don't have a good answer for you on y three, to be honest with you, Chris. But apparently there were maybe different different al- charges and how they presented them. I'm not sure.
0: They're not talking about Kingston. That's like Kingston outside of Quincy. They're talking about. So there is a Kingston, Illinois that's up by Chicago. No,
1: it's not that one. It's the one. Okay. It's the one out there, three, two to three miles, by Liberty. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually where Katie and the niece are buried in the the cemetery. There. Okay. Okay. I got some pictures of their grave as well as some other pictures from the newspaper. More sketches that we'll add to the blog page. Um, yeah. So this all happened in Kingston. As far as the 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 court cases themselves happened, he was let off the hook. He got away with it essentially. If it was him, the general consensus al- among the law officers, they believed it, he was guilty, Chris, but they didn't have enough information to pin it on him. Um, now it came time for the insurance settlement. Even though he was found innocent of these charges, most of the insurance agencies continued to fight this, Chris. They didn't want to pay this guy. Um, in some cases, there was in, there was mo- it wasn't one policy, Chris. There were a- abundant, many policies that added up to that sum of about twenty six thousand dollars. One particular claim was worth three thousand dollars. Now, this insurance agency was gonna fight this. They were gonna, they were gonna go take Lou Miller to court again to fight this payoff. They said, "Look, we'll give you half of that, and we'll call it a day." He ended up taking it, Chris. Hmm. I think what had happened is there was a lot more heat on him than he thought there was gonna be. And this is me kind of stepping off the reservation a little bit into suspicion mode. If he did commit the murder, I believe that he uh, he was starting to feel the heat, and I'll tell you why, Chris. He got it wasn't completely clear how much of that twenty six thousand dollars he actually received. It seems like it was a fraction of that. Hmm. So this was, I think, on May thirty first, eighteen ninety six. It was maybe a year or so after when the insurance settlement had finally happened after the court case. Two days. Two days after that, he's out of here. He is getting oh. the hell out of Quincy. Yeah. They're out of Liberty.
0: That sounds familiar.
1: <laughs> the same paper that says he received 1500 instead of 3000 from one of the insurance payouts. This is the same article. There's a rumor going around Liberty that Constable Presley Dark, who was the guest the night before at the Lou Miller's house, who had his eyes on Mrs. Lou Miller and who also was very active in the case, He's allegedly on his deathbed with some kind of form of cancer, Chris. And there's allegedly a deathbed confession that he was an accomplice with Lou Miller in the murders. Now, information is fast and furious. This whole word on the street came in from the Liberty area. There's a little town called Beverly out there. Two farmers from Beverly claim to hear this. Another farmer from Burton separately came into town with this. So these are three different sources who've both heard this rumor. A day or two later, the paper says tries to retract this. Some papers do, some papers don't. There's no explanation of why this is the case. Uh, Dark apparently dies. You know he is on his deathbed.
0: Dies. That's the constable. Right? Constable. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So this is in the same paper where Lou Miller gets his money and he's gone. He heads out to he heads out to Oklahoma. He's got some property out there. He's, he goes out to Oklahoma, he gets settled, he ends up making a lot more money out there through various real estate transfers, this, that, and the other thing. Finds his way to Indiana, Chris. In Indiana, he settles down and starts date, or kind of courting, I guess you could say, in, from the time frame, a wealthy local widow from a prominent family. They end up getting married. And on January 14th, 1901, Late in the evening, Lou Miller is walking home. This is in Indiana, returning from a trip to uh, make some purchases at a real estate sale. And he happens to be carrying a good amount of money with him at the time. Uh Well, he doesn't make it home. He's discovered the next morning with a bullet in his head and his gun laying beside the body. Hmm. So most people say, well, that looks like a suicide. Lou Miller was very vocal, being very angry with the insurance agencies who they, he feels like robbed him of the money that he was supposed to get when the wife and niece died.
0: Wait, wait, wait! What, the, he was holding a large amount of money when he died. Was that money still with him? No, it had been stolen. How is that a suicide then? <laughs> well, his,
1: his, the person who, who did his will and his, in, in a lot of other, correlations to this story, claims he talked to Lou Miller multiple times and Lou Miller was pissed at the insurance agencies for not paying out. So his plan, according to this <laughs> this guy who uh, was his uh, probate for his will and his wife's will, uh, William Drake, a Fraker Drake, I believe, kind of irrelevant, but he says that Lou Miller had planned all along to marry again by massive insurance <laughs> Another (laughs) massive insurance, you know, policies and then kill himself and basically screw over the insurance agencies as a middle finger on the (laughs) way out. Seems a little extreme to me. I don't know about you, Chris.
0: I mean, and we know for sure he had money from the real estate. uh, He had about three thousand dollars uh, on this person.
1: It was stolen. And yeah, here's the thing. This isn't the end of the story by any means. Okay.
0: Well, I mean, I think I mean that 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 probate (laughs) guy is a bunch of. Right crap, right yeah. right yeah it seems fishy right so i mean the story could be real i mean he could be pissed at the insurance company but he's not getting he's not being like i'm going to kill myself yourself? but let me kill let me let me hide this $3000 real quick Come
1: this time this time around he took out a $48000 policy uh with oh, wow. the benefactor being his his new wife
0: and they didn't pay out they paid out. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> after Lou Miller, you know, his go around with the insurance companies. You know, it's an interesting theory that this guy offered himself. I don't think it's very tangible myself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so after after the initial investigation, suicide was ruled out, Chris, because oh, okay. one of the witnesses who accompanied Mister Lou Miller on his walk home to a certain extent was a man named Martin Hobbs, and uh, Mister Martin Hobbs was eventually arrested and convicted. Of killing lou miller oh wow but not before a lot of witness testimony in this case in this case pointed that he did not act alone but that possibly lou miller's wife and two of her brothers may have had a part in the murder <laughs> can you believe this oh boy <laughs> so 10 years after martin hobbs is arrested and convicted he is released there's another court hearing where he he is let off, he's acquitted of the murder. No one else is charged, Chris. You'd think yeah. that's the end. You'd think, <laughs> yeah, surely, right. nothing can, done, can top right? this, but you'd be wrong. Right. After receiving the near $50,000 from insurance, Lou Miller's new wife, his, now his widow, Becomes like the rock star in this town. I mean, she's building opera houses. She's donating to town libraries. She's like the bee's knees in Hazleton, <laughs> Indiana. This small little town, right? Mm-hmm. Three years after his death, Lou Miller, his wife meets a new man. And this man, this new man that she ends up marrying is a blind violin player.
0: What? You're full of it. You're No. Nope.
1: I wish I was making this up. I, I'm not making this up. It goes full circle. She ends up hooking up, falling in love with another blind violin player.
0: there there's going to be like 10 of them in the world. I mean, come on. And the two are married
1: and, to best of my knowledge, live happily ever
0: after. Oh, uh, I really thought your next story was going to be, and all of a sudden, she I died I stopped mysteriously. researching this, Chris.
1: I didn't have enough time to go down any more rabbit holes. This, in short, is the life, the drama, the tragedy, the suspense, the craziness of Charles Lowe Miller, Charles Lou Miller, pick a pronunciation. What do you think, Chris? feel crazy, right? Wow.
0: Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot to dig into. So I guess the biggest question is, Travis, you did all this research. I want to know up front. I mean, we'll dig into this more on our Patreon, but I want to know up front, like, where are you at? Did he kill his wife?
1: I don't know. Like, I'm <laughs> not even sure. There are so many. And Chris, we're going to get into this in the Patreon episode com- you know, coming out next week to our Patreon members, because I have a list of murder scenarios here a mile long. I have a list of potential accomplices. I have a lot to talk about and want to get into the weeds with you on this stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, it sounds interesting. Uh, one of the things I do want to—I, I know you don't know the answer to this question, but I'm curious. And it's something that popped into my mind because you were talking about uh, about fingerprints and yeah. bloody clothes. I know this happened in 1894. Is that correct? Correct. But my question would be: Is would you think it would be possible like the Adams County Courthouse would still have evidence back from I the late 1890s?
1: No, I wondered about that. And there might be somewhere because if it's from Kingston, there's no longer a court in Kingston. Someone would have had to take over those. I mean, the Adams County would have been that's it was an Adams County jury.
0: You know, so yeah, by the way, speaking of that, that blows. There's two Kingston, Illinois. I know. By the well, way,
1: funny side story Kingston, Illinois had to change its name for a while when they had a post office because of the existing Kingston up around Chicago. Yeah, DeKalb so County. they, and I forget the name that they went with, but they literally changed the town's name for a good long while until it was actually dissolved as like a you know, enough people. Essentially it's a, it's a spot on the map, Chris. Now, if you ever go yeah, through there,
0: which that brings up another question, since we're talking about that, I would be really curious to see pictures of the courthouse in Kingston. Uh, I, back don't, in I that wasn't. Day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I have yet to be able to find too many pictures of Kingston. It's funny. The cemetery itself is, is there, there's an old church and the old schoolhouse is mm-hmm. right in the same area and I got super lucky in finding the grave of Katie Lou Miller and Orlando Searles, the niece, because I there were, you know, in the the like a website listing all the people. They weren't included, but the mm. newspaper clearly said it. And fortunately, I was able to track it down, got some pictures. But yeah, I have a lot of questions on Kingston itself.
0: Yeah, I mean, I you, when you said that, I was like, no, no, they why would they do it in Kingston? But it's funny. like I pulled up the Wikipedia page for, for Kingston and I was like. They don't even have any information, which I do have, um, which I brought up before. I do have the history of uh, the city of Quincy. I know there's a history of this uh, of Adams County book too that I need to track down as well right. because that may give us a little bit more details into the whole Kingston thing. But I was never aware. I always thought it was kind of just a uh, just a little little one one horse town kind of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, very intriguing, man. I this is. Uh, this is quite the rabbit hole, and you know, I joked with you when you were researching this, but I'm honestly seriously thinking there's going to be a Travis Hoffman book coming out. There might about as well this be in the future. I,
1: I probably have about twelve hours of research on this right now, and I had to go as far down all the rabbit holes just to come back out and try to make one tangible outline. There's stuff I left out, including a bloody axe that was found on the, the oh, place yeah, that's about the murder a- weapon appeared to be washed, but not washed well. As if a blind man was. Why would a you know the yeah so was that located
0: on the property? It was near the, the back of the house. Huh. That's like straight up Schmidt too. By the way, the the Schmidt murder weapon was found in the basement. After I've been the fire. listening
1: to the book on Schmidt this week, Chris. With while I've been researching this, just to see the connections. Oh yeah, in the there's two a cases, lot. we'll surely visit the Schmidt murders before we're said. Which
0: up. also makes you wonder. Here's a thought, dude. And again, we're gonna be talking about Schmidt's down the road, but. What if the Fanschmidt because the son connected. is the one. Well, not necessarily connected, but what if the Fanschmidt son that possibly did this, he was acquitted of it. Ray, but, uh-huh. uh Yeah. What if he got this idea based off of what happened in 94, 1894, that is. I don't believe he was
1: alive then. Oh, okay. But yeah, I'm sure the well, legend I mean, of it lived on. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, this had to be a big story in Adams County for... Oh, for many you, years following this. If, I mean,
1: if Fan Schmidt wouldn't have happened, this would be the story.
0: Which you never nobody's ever even heard of. I mean, no, I've never there heard is of There's no until research it on
1: this. There are no other articles anywhere
0: I've found on this
1: except for old articles in the paper from 100 years ago.
0: Be looking for the future Travis Hoffman book on right. John Low I guess
1: we're going <laughs> long, but check us out. If this your interest go check out patreon a lot more to come on the next episode in the patreon side
0: that's a look at the infamous 1894 liberty murder of john lowmeyer we'll be back after this on wild quincy (laughs)
1: Our customers really don't want to be here.
0: Their car's been damaged, they just want it fixed. So they come to Hilbing. We'll assess the damage, then work to make it look like it never happened. Hilbing has rental cars, so you don't have to go without wheels.
1: We help you handle those complicated insurance forms too.
0: At Hilbing Auto Body, we don't substitute used or generic parts. And we won't sell you what you don't need. For us, it's a matter of integrity.
1: People have trusted Hilbing for over 40 years. We work to earn that trust every day.
0: Here on Wild Quincy with a throwback ad from the 90s, another 90s throwback ad, Travis. This one coming from uh, WGM in 1995. And uh, what's that saying?
1: Well, right now it's taken to helping, but this apparently was before that era started.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, this didn't have it in there. And I, I now that I think about it, the funny thing about this ad, Travis. This ad in my world, I used to watch Saturday Night Live religiously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This was one first, and I don't know if it's because Hillbilly like had that spot, but there was a couple that always had that like post news spot, uh, and I always remember this ad running in that area. And then I also remember Fergie's, the Fergie auto parts. Fergie's first, yeah. Chris.
1: That's what I was just gonna say. You know? <laughs> See, I think in the late '80s they transitioned from. Fergie having that, maybe the 90s Hilbing took that over.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you remember such always. minute details like that, I would right? record
1: Saturday Night Live sometimes. I don't have any yep. the tapes, I don't think, anymore. Otherwise, I'd already give them to you. <laughs> but I always remember starting <laughs> off with that that Fergie ad all the time. All the time.
0: I had Jim Carrey's first time on Saturday Night Live on tape. Now you can uh, just watch it on yeah. Hulu, so you don't have Some to. So spoiled but, uh,
1: these days, kids are. Oh, I know, Ugh. I know.
0: They're so easy. We had to work so hard. Anyways. Yeah, exactly. And you had to put the tape in and make sure it was on the right channel and, the and tracking when it was fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. Total total craziness. Uh, anyway, Hill being auto body again, another one of those uh, businesses still around today, and ironically, Travis. They have been around in the same location uh, since they started back in 1954. Frank Hilbein was the first to open up uh, the store January 11th, 1954. He then handed over to Tom Hilbein in the 70s. And now, as of today, Craig Hilbein is uh, running Hilbein Auto Body. So, shout out to a very long 70-plus year company uh, that has been uh, Quincy Strong uh, in all that time. And I do want to give a shout out. Check out their website. uh, It has the history, but we showed a 1995 my bad, but their new ads are pretty impressive i do think that the the design and how it looks the the tv ads they do are they look really sharp so uh yeah they have all those commercials on their website too that you can check out so luckily uh, travis uh, on the side note i've never had to take it to hill because um <laughs> the times i've hit a deer it hasn't been uh, too bad so knock <laughs> knock on wood there Chris. <laughs> knock yeah. on some wood <laughs> Uh, so that's our throwback Traps. before we jump Into our question today One of the things I want To do is I want to Throw out kudos to you On all the hard work That you've done uh, With this uh, Lou Miller Low Miller Thank episode you. Thank you Just uh, behind the curtain So we have a little Time to talk between Our segments We literally spent Like another half an hour Talking about uh, this case After uh, we got done With our main segment So there's going to be A lot to talk about In Patreon yeah, hey, If you think ma- you
1: know The answer to that riddle Just you wait There's so much yeah. more That's going to change your whole perspective coming.
0: Uh, So here's the thing, guys, just uh, to give you a little piece of the puzzle or piece of the pie here, is that I totally was thinking that he was not the killer, and then after talking to Travis after we got done recording, I'm thinking, crap, he is the killer. Uh, So... So this tells you how, how how times and how things change and what other information's out there. So make sure uh, to check that out. But yeah, Travis, good job on this, man. I know you did a lot of research, thank you, thank and we we had to push off uh, recording yeah. a few days because you're like, I need more
1: time. I, I need kept more finding times. rabbit holes. It was driving me nuts because <laughs> I could probably still find more if I wanted to.
0: So, uh, yeah, so uh, good stuff. Check our Patreon. Uh, We'll uh, definitely uh, break this down even further. But, Travis, time for the question of the day. Are you ready for this one? Bring it on. First QHS Blue Devil basketball game. It happened either October of 1897, November of 1903, December of 1907, or November of 1915. What is your answer?
1: I'm going to say the 1915, Chris.
0: You would be incorrect. Ah, no. Okay. What was it? The first QHS Blue basketball game happened in December, and actually specifically December 23rd of 1907. Okay. Well, how about that? So, just to tell you, Travis, when I found this statistic, this was not the statistic I thought that was cool. It was what was with this that was cool, but I didn't know how to put it into into question, so I used this. The cool part of the statistic that I found was that, according to a 2010 uh, statistical report, the Quincy Blue Devils are the fourth winniest high school team in the country. Wow. They're ranked number four in wins in the country. That's incredible. Yeah, isn't that a crazy? But I just like I had no idea how I was going to put that into multiple choice question. Right. 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 <laughs> uh, so uh, Travis, obviously, we talk about these things because uh, they might have something to do with our next episode. Sure. What is the
1: next episode, Chris?
0: Our next episode, we're digging into sports. And sports in the tri-state area, sports in Quincy. We're going to okay. talk Blue Devils, we're going to talk Raiders, we're going to yes. talk about the Hawks, and we're going to talk with somebody that knows a little about that stuff. Who could that be, Chris? Yeah, we're going to be talking to Chris Dewar, the KHQA Sports Director. He's coming on for our next episode. We're going to talk all things sports and uh, of course Chris has been there 25 plus years. Wow. And not only is he been been there 25 plus years but uh travis and i have some history with chris yes we do. going way back in the day and so we're going to talk to chris about that uh, coming up on our next regular episode travis are we missing anything chris this has been a barn burner but i think we got it done man time to head to big neck and uh, have some fun all the way to big neck illinois <laughs> well for travis hoffman i'm chris ketters you've been listening to wild quincy we'll catch you guys next time take care everybody